2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10, and there's quite a bit we're going to share here. It all started with one little thought, one little word of, of weakness, our weakness, and that sent me here. And then, looking at a pattern we see in all these verses, Weakness is just ends up being one little point in the message. A big point in the message is God's grace. His grace is enough. There's a title for the message if you want one. Grace is enough. As I think about the application of God's grace in our life, it, it kind of makes me think about when... We're laid on our back and we need a respirator. You know, re respirators, they are machines that breathe for you. If you're laid down in a hospital bed and you're having some breathing issues, most likely you're going to be attached to a respirator. If you insist on breathing on your own, huffing and puffing it out and breathing on your own, then, then that respirator is not going to do you any good. There's only one thing to do when you become attached to a respirator. First of all, you need it if you get one. Second of all, you need to cooperate with the respirator. That's a real good thing to do because it's going to be doing the work for you. We're part of it. You know, our lungs are going to move up and down. You know, the, the, the air is going to go in our mouth and, and in our nose and it's going to expel. Uh, and so the person and the respirator are working together. But the respirator is doing all the work in this connection that's being made. All we have to do is cooperate with it instead of resist it. And it will do a good work for us. Jesus Christ wants to express Himself through our lives and be our respirator is the point we get to in that. He does not want us being our own respirator. That, that's saying we don't need Him if we want to be our own respirator. And we do need Him. We need Him uh, all the time. And what we're to do with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is cooperate with Him. Cooperate with His plan. We must yield ourselves to Christ. But there are too many hyperventilating Christians, if you will, these days. But as we look at the pattern of Paul here, we're going to see that Paul really learned how to rely on Jesus Christ as his respirator. Chapter 12, I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. It says, It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. 
whether in the body, I cannot tell, or whether out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, such an one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Man, sometimes you read the Word of God and it's so beautiful, it's, so, it's always beautiful, it's always powerful, but it just personally is so impacting. Sometimes you, you kind of just want to read the Word of God and close in prayer. That, What we've done so far, that's the best part of any message there could be, the reading of the Word of God. And we're not going to add to it. I pray that I might be helped to, for us to share some thoughts on this tonight as we look at the Apostle Paul's experience that he had in Christ, with Jesus Christ as his respirator. And he really opens his heart here, is what we find. And he shares his pain, and he also shares glorying, rejoicing at the same time. So in verses 1 through 6 is the portion where we read of his experience in Christ. Let me say this as we think about everything God used Paul to write. There were times that, that Paul defended himself. He defended his apostleship. He was not an apostle of man. He was an apostle of God. That's in the opening salutation of, of more than one letter in, in one way or another. And he did so because there were false brethren everywhere and they were accusing him of of just getting his information from another and that that he's not called of God but he truly was and Paul had the liberty to defend himself 
that his apostleship was truly given to him by God. It was having some effect. The lies of the false brethren and the, 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 the made-up things were having an effect on brothers and sisters in Christ. So, so Paul defends himself there. Here, he tells of a trip to heaven that he made. And there's something for us to notice about this trip that he made in the way he speaks of it. He speaks of it in such a way that takes the focus off of himself and puts the focus on the Lord. I mean, for instance, as we just read, you see there he spoke of himself in the third person. He spoke of the uncertainty of the details concerning him and his understanding of it. He didn't even understand it all. But he speaks of the one who is certain and who did understand it all. He said, God knoweth. But what he does know, he, ad- you know, he admits, and we all know that what's in every single one of us, there's a, there's a temptation to, to boast about it. He could boast about it. He was clearly not given permission to talk about it. It was unlawful for him to speak of those things. And I know what happens every time we get to that, and, and you probably start thinking of people who did talk about a supposed trip to heaven they made and came back. I, I would just like to say that I don't encourage anyone to read any of those kind of books. If Paul wasn't to write about it, why was somebody else to write about it? And so, uh, not impressed with those things, not a fan. Uh, I, don't, uh, I, I don't believe we ought to be reading those things. Um, Paul didn't write about it. Paul, Paul didn't uh, talk about it because he didn't have permission to. You, you think about the extraordinary gifts that Paul had. That, that he was given by God to use for ministry, and he did. He very well uh, could be tempted to boast of those things. Uh, no permission to boast of his trip to heaven. But then we see uh, a clear reason that, that is given uh, not to boast at the end of verse 6 here. He says, he says, But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. Paul didn't want others thinking too highly of him due to what he would say about himself, due to a boasting of himself. He would rather have people judge him based on what they see in his life versus what he would say about his life. You know, and that's a that's that's quite a statement to make. You know, no one is above lifting themselves up. Paul says he's not going to glory. He's not going to brag on himself, though. He has had an amazing experience with Christ here. He he took him up to the third heaven. What an experience he had with him. How could a good experience with Christ have a result of anything bad in it? Well, the temptation to boast. That's always there. God has used His people here to do some great and mighty things. 
And with Paul, with us, we're, we're tempted. Temptation is not sin, but there is a temptation to boast. That goes for Paul, and that goes for us. So we, we have Paul's experience with Christ, but let us look in verse 7 at what happens after his experience with Christ that he speaks of, and that is the endurance of calamity. He says, "...and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure." God knows we all need help with those temptations that come, out, come about. The temptation to pride. You know, that this is an issue with, with Paul that God's helping him with. You know, we see a lot of humility with Paul throughout the Word of God. He is so thankful and grateful to God. He's so thankful for the people of God. He's so mindful of the people of God to pray for them. The burden of the care of all the churches that came upon Paul. We, we see a lot of humility from him and gratefulness to God. And that wasn't just the goodness of this person Paul in and of himself. It wasn't in Paul to be humble like that. It wasn't in Paul to be that grateful to God. It was, well, the fact that he was a born-again child of God, and then God wasn't through with him, and he's not through with us, and, and we understand in the Scripture here that there was an effect that came about from a weakness in Paul, a weakness that was given to him. What's, what's the weakness? A thorn in the flesh. What was that? I don't think we should spend a lot of time trying to decipher that out and figure out what, what that thorn in the flesh was. I don't think we're, we're meant to try to examine it for the answer to that. But what we can know about that thorn in the flesh is that God knew all about it and gave it to Him. Paul, Paul knew what it was, whatever that thorn in the flesh was. And he obviously experienced it to the end of his life. He saw tremendous vision and revelation of, of heaven. But then he would endure a calamity until he went home to heaven. So we read of his experience in Christ. We understand the endurance of a calamity. And now something that we can all relate to that we see in verse 8. And that is and engaging for comfort. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. Paul then did what we have all done, did what we all do, and did what we shall do. When an affliction, when a trial comes our way, we're going to ask God to take it away. You know, we're going to... We're going to seek Him. Will we might even... This is like a, a begging that Paul does. And, and, and I'm sure that we have all begged for God to take something uh, out of our lives. He begged the Lord to take it away. 
We've done that. And the next time a trial comes into our lives, it's probably the first thing that we're going to do. Trust, ask the Lord if He'll take it away. We can, and we can surely relate to this point with Paul. His reaction and our reaction too is very similar. But let's not make this the last point of the message. For some in their life, it might be the last point that they're at and, and stuck at. I wonder how long some people beg and beg God to take something away. As in, I don't, want any other, I don't want any other solution. I don't want any other avenue. I just want this taken away. I just want it gone out of my life and nothing else. And, and that just continues on and on and on. You know, there's a lot to learn here. Well, why do we want something taken away so bad? Because it's irritable to us, because we don't like it, because we just want to be happy and take a deep breath and, and relax in life. You know, God would rather make you and I conquerors instead of making us comfortable. So let's look at the answer because, because Paul has besought the Lord that this thorn in the flesh might depart from him. And what's the answer from Christ to him? Let's look at an explanation for conquering. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. If we wanted to designate this answer as, as a yes, I'll take it away, or no, I won't, We'll have to say that the answer is no. God said no, that he wouldn't take it away. Paul is praying earnestly. Paul has prayed sincerely. His life is surrendered to God. He's living his life in the will of God. He was full of faith. He was using his God-given gifts for the Lord and in serving the Lord. And he petitioned the Lord and requested its removal, this thorn, from his life. And God's answer was no. He didn't say that word, but he answered no by the, in this way. By saying to him, my grace is sufficient for thee. He says, my grace is is enough. God's love was in that answer for Paul. God can say no, and it's good when He says no, because something else is going to come along with it when He says no. And what it is, is the possession of an unfailing strength that he was going to have an ability to bear the evil. God's grace is greater than anything we would ask Him to remove from our lives. His grace is more influential. It's more impacting to us. It's greater than, than anything 
that is troublesome or a problem to you and I. It's, and it's great to know this. I'm, I'm just thrilled with all the good news that comes with being a Christian. God's grace is an unfailing strength, an inexhaustible fuel for our lives to make us conquerors no matter what comes into our lives. It's great to know this. It's greater to experience this. And sometimes we see that the greatest answer is no. We're begging the Lord to take something away. But what that is going to deprive us of, if He does take it away, is such a full and blessed experience of the grace of God in our lives. Because of the grace of God, no amount of opposition can break us. I'm not saying we won't be broken, but it's our fault if we are. Because the grace of God is is there for us. And when we appropriate the grace of God in our lives, there's no opposition. We have no idea what we're going to face in the future on this earth while we live here. But there is nothing that the grace of God in our lives will not lead us to conquer. Not saying that our trial or something will come to an end. It may exist for the rest of our lives, but we're going to be able to conquer it by the grace of God. We think, how nice would it be if God took this away? Well, you know what? It just might be sweeter to have this experience of His grace that is going that is going to reduce the power the influence the irritation the bothersomeness of whatever it is in our lives you know our strongest day on our own something could snap us in half no problem we like to see ourselves as strong we like to think of ourselves as strong It's discouraged to think of yourself as weak. Some would never say that that they're weak, but God's Word teaches us that when we see that we're weak, when we come before Him as a weak people, we're exactly in the place that He wants us to be. It is... It is quite a moment in our lives when we realize our weakness without God. You know, I don't think Jesus needs to use the strong. I don't think He's impressed with the strong. But if someone will come before Jesus and see their weakness, He can use that person. He can use that one who can't live without Him. The thorn helped Paul to see his weakness. And it was profitable for him. He saw his weak condition. And when he acknowledged and and 
confessed and realized his weak condition, God's power became more fully developed in his life. The, the stronger we might see ourselves, the more we'll be in God's way. The weaker we see ourselves, we see our need of God, and God has a desire to show off in the life of the one who sees that they're weak. Maybe we've been in a time of pain and sorrow, and we have sought the Lord that we might be delivered from this sorrow from this trial in our life. And it doesn't happen. It, we're miserable in it, but it doesn't happen. What do we do then? How about we take a look at what God is letting us know of in His Word that we might see how God works. Because many have fallen under this pattern in one way or another with Paul. And he's working the same way today. It's going to help you and I to get out of our frame of mind and what we want and to consider how God works. You know, sometimes He'll lift us right out of a circumstance. Sometimes He'll make a circumstance go away. But a lot of times, He's not going to lift us up and out and over and above the circumstance, the problem that we're in. But He's going to take us through the problem. You ever been there? You wanted something to go away? And next thing you know, you find yourself being taken through the problem, walking with God, and you find yourself a conqueror of what you thought was going to conquer you if it didn't vanish from your life. You know, you think about the things that Paul went through. There's a list in the last chapter, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, many things that Paul suffered. You might think about how he was purposely misjudged in the most cruel way, and false testimonies were made of Paul's life, and he wasn't what people were saying about him. That was hurtful. But grace was enough to sustain Paul through all of that. Paul went to the Lord for the removal of a thorn, and he received an explanation on how he's going to be a conqueror over that thorn that wasn't going to leave. And praise the Lord, Paul listened. Paul believed, and Paul applied it. Look with me at the end of verse 9, after he's given the answer that Christ gave him, and let's look at his response as we see education with cooperation. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. When Paul accepted no for the answer, and grace and substitution for the removal of the thorn, 
the power of Christ was moving in and through Paul's life like never before. The power of Christ was resting upon him. This is how God works when trials come for you and I. When we cooperate with the working of God, He's he's in charge and He calls the shots. And when we cooperate with the working of God in our trials, we're not wrestling against the plan of God, but His power is resting upon us. It's so much better when we cooperate with God rather than tell God the better thing He should have done or or go to God and tell Him what He should do about this or that. You know, what's the truth? Most Christians would like to dodge trouble. You know, sure, of, of course that's an instinct, that's a thought. We'd like to dodge trouble. But also, most Christians would say they desire to have the power of Christ dwelling in them. But there aren't many that'll sign up for the full plan. There aren't many willing to cooperate. Though Paul shows us that this is the greatest experience the suffering Christian can have. You ask God, that answer will be spoken to your heart, not not audibly, but, but louder than if it were audible. And a lot of times the answer is going to be, my grace is sufficient for thee. The greater the affliction, the deeper the experience there is in the power of Christ. That's what Paul wanted. He said in, in another letter that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. As we have here the subject of Paul's overwhelming suffering that the Lord wouldn't take away, that He's opened His heart to share with us, we close with encouragement by conclusion. Have you ever gone to anyone, you felt like they were down, you, were, you felt like they were in need of being encouraged, so that's why you went to them, and they ended up encouraging you? And here Paul is telling us about his thorn in the flesh, and it ends on an encouraging note. Paul says, therefore, verse 10, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecution and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Paul quit begging God. Don't get me wrong. I don't think we should ever have the thought that God's never going to take this away. He may. Never never stop having faith in, in what God's will is and that His will might be to take it away later. But Paul wasn't consumed with begging God to take it away anymore. He wasn't consumed about the removal of the sufferings. And what he concludes is that God is using His suffering that it might bring glory to Christ. He's making the connection that that my life 
in this suffering with the greater grace of God influencing me and leading me and strengthening me. God's getting, getting glory for this. So does that help to make sense when, when He says He glories in His infirmities? Because it's bringing glory to the Lord as He's empowered by the grace of God to make it through it. He's rejoicing in it. Whether he was disrespected, whether his needs were neglected, whether he was pursued because of his faith, or extreme pressures from serving Christ, he believed that these signs, that these things he was experiencing, were clearly showing the divine purpose of God in his life to show his power. A special working of God's divine power was operating in him. And these li- this list in verse 10 he makes of all these pressures and these problems, they were a result of the reality of Jesus Christ living in him. What, what is the proof in our lives, that Jesus Christ lives in us. What is the difference from when we were dead in our sins, going to hell, being made alive unto God, in Jesus Christ, a new creature, given new things to do, compared to the things we did when we were unsaved, What's the evidence in our lives that we know Jesus? Paul went through all of these, all of these persecutions and, and these problems and reproaches, infirmities, in distresses. It was for Christ's sake. And Christ was worth all of them. And Christ was being magnified by that suffering in his life. And Jesus Christ is worth rejoicing in, no matter what suffering comes to our life for his sake. I tell you what, I I hope that helps because Paul says, most gladly therefore will I rather glory in my infirmities. Where's the rejoicing? That Christ is getting glory. Christ is getting glory. There is an encouraging conclusion that when our weakness is discovered, we realize that we are weak. It leads to the experience of the wonderful grace of God in our lives. Our weakness helps us to see the glory of the gospel. Our weakness is used by God as an opportunity to make us strong in Him. If we see ourselves as strong, we're robbed of that experience. We're robbed of God making us strong. This is how God works. 
when we put this all together during our time of trial in our weakest state, when we trust Him, He's going to turn it into strength. He's going to turn it into rejoicing. He's going to turn it into conquering. Even if that conquering is a trial that never leaves our life and it's with us for every day in the rest of our life, He's going to make us a conqueror by His grace. Will you take it away? Will you take it away, Lord? No, no, I won't. But I'll give you, I'll do something even better. I will give you such an experience of my grace that that you're going to be able to conquer this. His, His grace is enough. That answer should completely satisfy you and I. And let me say to so many listening online, and then we have those here tonight, that that's a message... That's a message for the Christian. But there's a message for the one who has never been saved. And that is the only way to be saved from our sins, to save us from a devil's hell, is by the gift of God's salvation that is unearned. We are not of such a stature as a human being in this world that in the greatest, on our greatest day, that we could be accepted by God. It's only by the gift of His grace that that cannot be earned. That's how we're saved. By trusting in God's gift to us, His Son, Jesus Christ, who took all of our sins and died on the cross in our place. And He gives us everlasting life in Him when we trust Him. And that is good news. We've broken God's law, but Jesus paid our fine. What great news the gospel is. Let us go to the Lord in a word of prayer, and then David's going to come up and, and lead you all in some songs tonight. Um, Brother Scott Hinton, please close us in prayer. God bless you all. Like 